BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you to earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you can start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Navy Federal also offers equity loan options to help you get the funds you need to consolidate high interest debt, work on home improvements, or cover any of life's big expenses. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, their members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required. Terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. Here at How to Money, we're always encouraging listeners to think about some of the different ways they can earn some money on the side to reach their financial goals. And guess what? While you're away, your home could also earn extra income. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. Yeah, hosting is a lot easier than you might think, and you don't need to Airbnb a whole house. You can just host your extra spare room. So consider becoming an Airbnb host, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today, we're answering your listener questions. You know what, buddy? This is an Ask How to Money episode. This is a Monday episode. And by the way, speaking of this coming out on Mondays, we've, uh, we're actually going to make a, a little tweak to the format of the show. Not only will you be getting these listener question episodes every other week, you're going to be getting them every single week. This is uh, a change that we're making. And every Monday, you can now expect an Ask How to Money episode here in your feed. Yeah. So by popular demand, Matthew, or just by we, edicts by the two of us. I don't know. <laughs> we, we've decided. But also, we have gotten so many great listener questions. And that's, that's really one of the main reasons. One of the, the funnest things for us to do here. Yeah. Is, and, and so many people submit questions and we're not able to get to all of them. And we're just, hey, if we, if we tackle twice as many, then we'll probably get to most of them, which is great. So uh, I we're, we're talking to a friend about this, and I looked in our folder where we keep all, like, basically all of the listener questions that come in, and then we kind of mark the ones that we want to, you know, we kind of line them up, and depending on the, the, the content, depending on the specific question, but there are over 270 unanswered listener questions yeah. that we have not gotten to over, I and mean, granted, this is over the course of five years. To our shame, uh, yes, in some ways. unfortunately. But, so we, yeah, I think in a way, it's we're, we feel bad that we can't get to all the questions that people have. That's what the Facebook group is for as well, by the way. People can go in there, mm-hmm. help each other out. But and, I, and some of them are repeats, right? Like some of them are, are very similar to, sure, to other Sure, okay, we've talked about it before. But it would be fun to be able to get to more of them. Exactly, mm-hmm. and so I think that's really the goal here. And so hopefully this encourages you too, if you're like, I, I might, I thought about submitting a listener question, but man, 
they do it every other week are they actually going to get to mine well hopefully we'll be able to get to yours now so yeah mm-hmm. feel feel more encouraged even to to submit a question to us that matt and i can take on the next ask htm episode which comes out not next, two weeks from today but next monday one week from today and by the way this does not mean that we're not going to have interviews we'll be sharing more about we're not going to spend the entire this entire episode talking about the format of the show let's Inside keep moving baseball. i wanted to ask you what do you think about my new kids bike <laughs> sitting against the, the office wall i actually forgot about it and it, it sat there almost like half the day before you were like why do you have a kid spike in here? <laughs> did you punch a kid and take their bike not cool it's man. A, my my new 24 incher no i wanted to mention this so it was evie's birthday last week and she had been mentioning for a while that she doesn't have a bike that fits her anymore to my great shame, the <laughs> the fact that we haven't had her properly outfitted, it's, it's literally kept us from being able to go on family rides. Especially when, when you and I and our families, we prioritize biking oh, so dude, heavily. You know? it's, it's, it's something that we had just not gotten to. And we're like, all right, this is for her birthday. We'll make sure to get her an awesome bike. I was looking specifically at like this fancy, lightweight, specialized bike. And I was getting really close to pulling the trigger on it. And I thought, wait a minute, I need to see if I can find this thing used, hopped on Facebook Marketplace. And I didn't find that specific bike, but I found one that was very, very similar. It was also a 24 inch and I was able to get an incredible deal. It was a, um, it's an REI co-op 24 inch Rev City is the specific bike. Yeah. And I know the name cause I looked it up cause I wanted to know the cost brand new. These jokers are 400 bucks. Uh, currently they're on sale at REI for like 280, I think I was able to get this thing used. It actually was in excellent condition for 135 bucks. That's sweet, man. Uh, man. Yeah. The lady, she had purchased it for her, for her daughter. I think during the pandemic, she wrote it like four times, uh, quickly outgrew it. And she's like, I got to unload this bike now. That's what happens with those kids. Mm -hmm. You and I were talking the other day and it's the same thing with kids shoes. I do not buy expensive (laughs) shoes for my kids because I grow them in a matter of what seems like weeks. I know it's probably more like months, but still it feels like weeks. Yeah. And and bikes are are some like, but you also don't want to buy them a a super heavy, complete piece of crap because it'll disincentivize them. The weight is one of the biggest things because when they're big and and, and the kids can't handle them, it makes it not very fun to to ride a bike. I do feel like those REI bikes are probably that perfect middle of the road for a whole lot of people where they're not crazy expensive. There's like $500, $600 models you can get, but when they're on sale, that's or, what else, that was a getting them used. I was yeah. Okay. I bet yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> but when you get them used, like you can get even them better, even less than that. So, uh, yeah. smart the move. only, well, so the only benefit of having four kids, I mean, it's expensive in lots of different ways is that I can kind of justify the money I spend on bikes because I'm like, all right, there's a chance that at least three other kids would ride this bike. That's a good point. You know? too, yeah, that's one thing I would have been willing to drop four or five hundred bucks on a nicer bike knowing that. But I was also glad that I didn't have to do that. So just a reminder for folks out there, there are deals to be had and on Facebook Marketplace. One other random thing on REI bikes. I think they have some sort of trade up system at a lot of stores where oh. they'll give you a a decent chunk off the next upgrade you make if your kid outgrows that version. And so you, you at least want to check in and see, okay, cool. If I buy it here and I return it, I think with the, if you upgrade within the next three years, they'll give you a substantial discount on the next one. So that's cool too. I mean, REI is a great company, so absolutely uh, making good stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, Matt, all right, let's mention the beer we're having on this episode. This is, I'm going to mispronounce this probably, Kanazawa 
Haya Komunga Pale Ale. <laughs> so this is another uh, Japanese beer. Our last Japanese beer from listener Julia. I thought you did well, Joel. Thank you. Good that work. was pathetic, really. But <laughs> we, we do our best here. But we're excited to try this one, and we'll give our thoughts at the end of the episode. Absolutely. But let's get to listener questions. Of course, now we're doing this weekly, so feel free to submit yours. You can submit at howtomoney.com slash ask. There are simple instructions for you to record a voice memo and get it sent our way. But let's get to the, the first question for today's episode, Matt. This one is specifically car related. Hi, Matt and Joel. My name's Darlene. I'm calling from Montana. I'm a longtime listener of your show and appreciate all the advice you guys give your listeners. My question for you guys is if I should pay off my car loan early versus keeping that money aside for a future home purchase. I owe less on the car than it is worth and I have an interest rate of 3.75%. I have about 15% saved up for a house Now, I'm about a year out from that home purchase, and it would be my first home, so I know I don't necessarily need the full 20%, but if I pay off this car, it would take that savings from 15% to about 5%. And a small backstory is I am 32 years old. I currently have no other debts besides this car, and I didn't make the best decisions in my 20s, but now at 32, I am making better decisions. I have eight months worth of an emergency savings set aside separate from that home savings, and I'm contributing to my 401k, HSA, and a Roth, and I just want to make sure I'm making the best decision. I don't want this to affect my credit score negatively or my ability to get a home in the future. I'd appreciate any advice you guys have or if I'm maybe missing anything that you could point out. Thanks for all you do. All right, Darlene, thank you so much for listening to the show for so long now. And let's go ahead and dive into it as to whether or not you should pay off that car loan or not. For most folks, we are fans of not having a car loan in the first place. We don't like Uh, them. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Bottom line, we don't want you paying interest to uh, a financier, a bank. uh, But... Specifically, this is important to keep in mind, especially these days, like with car prices being sky high and interest rates skyrocketing with that in mind, like it's tempting to finance a car or to take out a longer loan in order to afford the car that you that you want that you're looking at. And again, it's not that it's never okay. It's just that we want most folks thinking about how they can slash what they spend on cars or transportation, uh, which would in in turn allow them to funnel more money into income producing assets instead of doing what everybody else is doing out there, which is buying cars that they can't really afford. Yeah. And and it's a mindset thing too. It's like, how much, how little can I spend on a car so I can do awesome other stuff versus like, well, how much am I allowed to spend on a car, which is kind of the personal finance question most people ask. Yeah. So, Darlene, I'm also a little, I'm going to apologize for basically beating you up <laughs> right out of the gate uh, and pointing out this mistake. And so, with that in mind, let's also mention that you've made some insanely awesome financial progress since those early mistakes that uh, that you mentioned to, to be in this position, right? Having this much saved in addition to the, the amount that you have on hand for home savings for a down payment, that is truly incredible. And by the way, she said the rate on that car loan is 3.75%, which all Although we don't like car loans, that's not a bad rate, especially in today's interest rate environment. You can make more on that in in savings, which is sweet. So Mm -hmm. yeah, no, Darlene has been crushing it in recent years, that's for sure. And eight months worth of savings, right? That puts her really far along the financial independent spectrum that we discussed. That's a lot of cash on hand, which I love. We talked about that a couple of months ago and how, man, that much, well, it gives you a, a lot of options, more options than the average person. And so that dedication has paid off in, in a bunch of added flexibility that she's been able to garner. The, the 
there's so much more mental and time freedom that you can amass when you've been able to save, when you've been able to sock away that much. And in addition to that, Matt, like I said, this car loan is more benign, 3.75% interest rate. It's like nobody's mad about that right now because of what they can do to make their money more productive if they've got low interest rate debt. This is why we tell people, no, don't don't bother, don't worry about, don't focus on paying off that low interest rate mortgage early. There are more productive things you can do with those dollars. And so because that's the case, we would tell Darlene, there's just no reason to pay off this debt more quickly than you need to. Pay it off as agreed. We would rather see you putting extra money towards saving for that home purchase. And like you said, Darlene, like it's it's certainly not a requirement to save 20% to put down on that house, but it's a goal we're shooting for, right? And you're, you're not too far off from that goal. So by not paying off your car loan, it looks like you might actually be able to get there because you're you still got a little bit of time left to hit that goal. If I were you, that's what I'd be shooting for. Totally. Yeah. And she, she also mentioned uh, her credit score at the end of the question as well. That's another consideration. Were you to pay that off, you would be eliminating an installment loan and the your, your credit mix. And so that's another factor. The fact that, you know, by eliminating this loan, it would potentially ding your credit, especially if you've had that car loan for a number of years. Yeah. You don't want to necessarily let the tail wag the dog on the credit score thing. But, but if you pay it off right before, right as you're applying for loans, it's going to have an impact, yeah. which then could really come back to bite you in the butt and you're stuck with a higher interest rate mortgage than maybe you otherwise would have been able to get your hands quarter on. Quarter or half point higher. That makes a difference in those monthly payments and the overall amount you pay for that house. Yeah. Yeah. And plus, if you are able to get to that 20% down, which again, it sounds like you should be able to, if not, I think even considering a more affordable house might be the solution. But if so, uh, this means that you'll be able to avoid PMI, private mortgage insurance, if you're taking out a conventional loan, which this expense, it can be a, a, a pesky additional additional monthly cost, how much that will be, it'll depend on the price of the home that you're buying, but it could be a couple hundred bucks every single month. And having that extra cash to put down will also help you to qualify for the best rates from a bank or uh, a credit union. And it's going to lower that monthly payment, which we love to see. Uh, and so considering where you're at financially and you know that you've got some time before you start making offers, we think that you should keep padding that down payment fund as opposed to uh, getting rid of that car loan from your yeah. life altogether. I also love how she said she was keeping those separate, right? The eight months worth of savings versus the home down payment fund. I like that they're not this like commingled, ah, we'll see what happens. Like th- there are separate goals for money here and they're allocated accordingly. And so I think that's a smart approach. And it sounds like, yeah, Darlene is being wise when it comes to saving for this home. And I do think that, that, yeah, you're right, Matt, like not paying off this car loan early is probably on multiple levels going to be the best bet, helping her to be able to to buy this home with ease, get the best rates, get the best terms. Uh, and you know what, eventually that car, car note's going to be gone anyway. Uh, it's going to be out of her life in the not too distant future, yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that too, because I think that d- it depends on Darlene's risk tolerance as well. But eight months, it's a little above and beyond the standard three to six months yeah. worth of living expenses. And so, Darlene, I mean, honestly, I feel like I love keeping money categorized and separate and distinct from each other. But I think it might be worth considering, do I need those additional two months worth of living expenses? Maybe you can kind of, it doesn't have to, it's not a binary decision. It's not a dichotomy, right? Right. It's not, I'm going to completely deplete my emergency fund or I'm not going to touch it at all. Maybe you could shave a couple months worth off. That way you're still, you know, you still have a, a solid six months worth of living expenses on hand, but maybe that's able to kind of, 
juice that down payment a little bit and kind of gives you that uh, yeah. emotional win that, oh, man, I am so close. If I you know take two months worth of living expenses from over here, that means I've only got maybe six, seven, eight, nine months left before I've got that full 20% yeah. to, put, to put down. Exactly. I think you can pull some from it. You just don't want to deplete it to buy the house of your dreams yeah, and be house yeah. poor, right? Like that would be ill-advised, but if you're pulling a little bit because, hey, six months is still plenty, and, then, and you can always work on building that up after the fact, but getting that 20% mark is is huge. And, you know, not, not many first time home buyers achieve it, but I think if you can, it's, it's worth, it's worth doing. And the fact too, that you're also investing, you know, you're contributing to your HSA, your 401k, your Roth, you're doing all of the above, which is, which is great news. And because choosing to not pay down debt, the, the truth is it's only a wise move if you have better options. And there are some people out there who might uh, call in and they would say, hey, should I leave, let this debt linger? But they don't necessarily have better things to do with the money. They're like, I was thinking about buying a jet ski or something like that. Or I was going to try to go up in space with Richard Branson, something like that. Spend the money on just something some, to goof off or whatever. It's probably not a good thing to do while you still got debt lingering in your life. And so what you choose to do with the money Instead of paying off the debt, that is kind of at the crux of this this question too, Matt. And that's that's all the difference in the world. Yeah, because if somebody's got a gambling problem where they're like, I'm just going to spend it on clothes if I don't pay off this debt, what, what, whether it's big or small, then we would say, go ahead and pay off the debt because there's a there's a direct return on your money. It's better than just frittering, frittering it away. But uh, it sounds like, of course, Darlene has demonstrated a high level of discipline and she's doing really smart things with her money. She's got meaningful, good goals. And so I would say she's got what it takes to handle her money in a more nuanced manner, letting this debt linger while she socks away more in savings to hit that 20% mark so she can buy that awesome house. That's right. Yeah. And by the way, I think it's worth mentioning too, I don't want to add to the cult of homeownership. And I think there are a lot of options for folks out there. Darlene, I don't want to, like, I don't want this necessarily to be a slam dunk decision because you know that this is like, quote unquote, the wise thing to do. Because in some cases, it may not be the wise thing to do. Uh, There's Because if you're only looking at the numbers, maybe it makes sense for you to rent as cheaply as possible. Or, or, we or, talked about that not too long ago, how renting makes sense in almost all a, of a lot of major yeah. markets. So it has to be a personal choice, something that you really want to do. Yeah. You're not buying the home because it's the quote unquote smart personal finance move. Yeah. And, and so the reason I highlight that is, is because I think it's worth owning and addressing the fact that when you buy a home, there is some consumption involved. You are doing this as a lifestyle upgrade in part. It just so happens that this lifestyle purchase is one that typically appreciates in value as opposed to depreciating, which is pretty much everything else that you can spend your money on (laughs) if you're not investing it. And so we want you to make sure that you're approaching the home buying process from the right angle as well, not just like as a a default assumption that this is something that you've got to do. For sure. All right, Matt, we got more money questions to get to, including investing advice for a travel nurse. We'll get to that and more right after this. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned. And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty or 
you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Joel, I think there are a lot of folks who start small businesses and they're surprised at the amount of behind the scenes, the admin type work that they're not all that thrilled about. Getting your books together with, uh, with some final figures so that you can file your corporate taxes, for instance. That's something we've been in the middle of. But it can really gum up the gears, potentially keeping you from doing the work you love. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000, 25, and 1. That's right. Yeah, 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. There's a lot of power in the simplification of having all that information in one place. Helps you make better decisions. That's right. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash howtomoney. That's netsuite.com slash howtomoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash howtomoney. A big part of being a responsible adult is taking care of the things you care about. For instance, my bike that I ride in to work on. I keep the tires pumped. I keep the chain greased. Gone are the days of leaving your bike out in the rain for weeks at a time, like a kid. (laughs) Simply put, the things futures are built around are the things worth protecting. And making an estate plan now means gaining security of your assets and peace of mind for you and your loved ones. With Trust & Will, you can create and manage a custom estate plan starting at just $199. Go to trustandwill.com slash howtomoney for 10% off plus free document shipping. As the primary breadwinner for our family, I've taken the steps to ensure that Kate and the kids that they're going to be taken care of if something terrible happens to me. Each will or trust is state-specific and customized to your needs. Their simple step-by-step process guides you from start to finish with ease. So get the peace of mind you deserve by creating your estate plan with Trust & Will. Secure your assets and protect your loved ones with Trust & Will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. Yeah, I just realized we didn't uh, tease to some of the questions here at the top of the episode because we were all caught up talking about the format of the show. But we do have plenty of additional questions to get to. Get to. We're going to be hearing from a listener who's actually asking about basically a frugal or cheap when it comes to biking. We'll get to that one here in a second. But first, let's hear from a listener who is using this new hospital bill negotiating service or specifically he's wondering if he should use it. Is it legit? Let's hear it. Hey guys, Joe Nugent here from Nuego, Michigan. I had a question for you about a company I recently learned about called Goodbill. I had to take my 18-month-old son into the emergency room. He was having an allergic reaction. Thankfully, by the time we got in there, everything had kind of calmed down, and they really didn't have to do anything to him. They just saw him and gave him uh, uh, some Benadryl. Um, But we got a large emergency bill for that less-than-an-hour visit that we did. Uh, and I was doing some Googling and found a company called Goodbill that will negotiate uh, to save you money on your 
healthcare bills and they will charge you 20% of whatever they save you. So, uh, just calling to see if you guys have heard anything about this or any recommendations you would have. All right. Thanks guys. Again, that company is called good bill. Thanks. I'm guessing that's some expensive Benadryl that uh, <laughs> seriously <laughs> that you paid for. Uh, the the emergency rooms, Matt. They, I don't know if you noticed, they don't charge like fair, reasonable prices. It's ridiculous. It's like $150 for an ibuprofen. I can't imagine what Benadryl costs. Which, <laughs> that's a specialty drug, right? Exactly. I mean, yeah, the, it can be crazy, crazy expensive. Joe, we're glad your son is okay. Yes. And just yeah. a note, really, to everyone else out there. I mean, first off take any sort of medical advice that we give with a grain of salt any advice that you think we might be giving right. with a grain of salt <laughs> even the money advice like you should you should do your due diligence this and, is for entertainment purposes only joel i mean kind of well but we we, we do think, legally yes 100 <laughs> but there's a whole lot that you know we we want you to to learn a lot and then but, but we also want you to to second guess us and and think for yourself and and go to other sources at the same time but on the the medical front speaking to kind of what joe was talking about at the beginning uh Going to the emergency room is is a really, really expensive thing. And there are cheaper options out there. So urgent care is often a better option because you're going to get seen more quickly. Your bill is going to be a whole lot less than it would be if you if you go straight to the ER. But so much depends on, on what sort of you know injury or health issue you're dealing with. Sometimes just going to your local grocery store or pharmacy, the, the dock in the box sort of thing, those can be enough. Just depends on what time of day it is and what's going on. I know. And, and especially, Joe, I sympathize with you when, when you got a little kiddo who can't talk. We 100% get the reason for taking him in. Totally. It's better safe than sorry, right? Of course. But just a plug for some of those in-between services that can make sense in many cases. If you go to the wrong one, you could be stuck with a bill. And that's it's much, much larger, many times larger than if you just go into the right place at the very beginning. Yeah. Which uh, which Chris Farley movie was it where he sits... He like gets in the plane or the helicopter. And he sits back against the bee. Uh, is it uh, Black Sheep? Black Sheep or Tommy uh, Boy? One of the two. Tommy, right? Yeah, not because Tommy Boy. They're like they're, yeah. doing the car salesman stuff. Uh, so yeah, if your kid's swelling up like Chris Farley in <laughs> <laughs> Black Sheep, better safe than sorry. But the problem is, is that this kind of thing it happens to folks across the country all the time. We are. <sighs> Not considering, I guess, some of the additional ramifications of visiting an actual ER at the quote unquote hospital that everybody knows. And then it just shows how messed up our healthcare system is. It, it ends up costing folks like Joe and his family thousands of dollars that they hadn't budgeted for. Uh, medical debt, it's the leading cause of bankruptcy in our country. But the truth is that it's possible to fight back against some egregious bills like this. But just most folks just don't know how to go about doing it. And so because of that, they get on a payment plan. They want to do what's right, pay that sucker off a lot of times on the first bill. And that's one of the things we've talked about with Marshall Allen. Never pay the first bill. We understand the desire to want to pay for the services that were that were rendered to you, but there are ways for you to get that cost down. Well, and sometimes they, a lot of people, Matt, they can't pay it uh, when the first bill comes. Yeah. And so they, they get on this payment plan, they pay it for, for years in, off into the future for this one-time medical procedure, or <laughs> in Joe's case, this one-time administration of Benadryl, which is tough to stomach, right? And, mm-hmm. and that is what puts people over a barrel and what ultimately leads to the ruination of a lot of people's finances it's it's a massive problem so yeah these er bills they are they're no joke and and it is cool to see companies like good bill come along this is what joe mentioned in his question right it it addresses a real need to help people be able to advocate for themselves in a system that is opaque that is like hard to to make headway in the good bill is trying to to do this on your behalf 
And I do want to say up, up front, the truth is you could do this on your own, right? You can ask for an itemized bill, which in and of itself, it might reduce the total bill amount, right? You can talk to a patient advocate at the hospital where the procedure was done. You might be able to get some or all of the bill written off, maybe completely forgiven, right? Depending on your family size and your income. Like, uh, man, when you look at the numbers, something like a family of four making $100,000, they could qualify for what's known as charity care in the industry. And so you've you just got to know that it exists and you've got to apply for it in order to make it happen. If you just get the bill, you start making payments, you you have undone your rights, right? You have you have forsaken your ability to get a better deal on that care. So, you know, fighting medical bills, it can it can be kind of like learning a new language though. It can take a lot of time, a lot of energy, and that's why Good Bill launched, it seems. And and by the way, one of the cool things about Good Bill, they say if they can't save you money, you don't pay a dime. So that is nice, right? You're giving them Feels a like chance. There's very little risk involved. Yeah, giving them a chance to argue on your behalf. And if they say, eh, sorry, we got frustrated too. There was nothing. There was nothing we can do. This bill is what it is. Well, at least you don't owe Good Bill any money. Exactly. Yeah, Good Bill. It seems like they've got, kind of gotten this down to a science where they're able to get results in a relatively short amount of time. Uh, but how it works is that they take your billing records and they perform a review including uh, they, they have a medical coder look for billing errors. And by doing this, this holds the hospital or the doctor's office accountable for any upbilling or any undocumented charges that might have actually been added to the bill. Uh, they also do a pricing, pricing review to ensure that you're not being billed at an inflated rate for those services. And so with all that all that they're able to, to, to provide, I think taking 20% of the savings in order to do that work that seems pretty dang reasonable to us. There's another service out there, Copatient. There is less written about Copatient. It's, it seems like it's been out for a lot longer, uh, but Goodbill seems to be, they're newer, but they seem to be doing a good job. I guess that's my only hesitation with Goodbill is that they are newer, but that being said, they've got awesome reviews up yeah. on uh, BBB, up on the Better Business Bureau. And you see them responding to folks. You see that they are able to, to save money, uh, save folks money. I mean, anywhere from like a few hundred dollars to like thousands of dollars sure. of, of folks who have actually used Goodbill. So if it was me, I would... Uh, because of that, I like I wouldn't have any hesitation at least giving it a shot, uploading my bill, seeing if uh, if uh, they can negotiate it down some. Yeah, Matt, this kind of kind of makes me think that you could probably translate your fa- favorite Russian novel into English on your own, or you could just go buy the copy that's already been translated by someone else. Because it, that would that would just require you a whole <laughs> lot of like learning a new language and a whole lot of time and effort. And I think like, like learning literally a new language right. as opposed to learning the quote unquote, hospital coding language. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which is similarly hard to understand and complex, right? So yes, it's possible. Yes, there are resources out there that can help you to DIY this thing. But think about your time, how much your time is worth and how much effort you want to put into this. And probably a lot of it depends on how big that bill actually is mm-hmm. and how much you know and how mad you are. Because <laughs> sometimes you're just willing to fight and you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this on my own. I have the gumption. I have the... Yeah. whatever it is that's making you mad to actually follow through. It's sort of like Darlene's question about, well, what would you do with the money that you would have used to pay down your car loan, right? Uh, So for for you, Joe, how would you spend that time otherwise? Because if you would actually put the time in to fight this thing, then man, more power to you. Go for it. But I think a lot of folks aren't going to give it 
any time at all. Right. And so they're, they're, they're kind of looking for the thing that's going to get you 80% of the way there. And literally, that's this is what they do. You can give uh, it a they, shot. They charge you 20% of whatever they save. Give it a shot for a minute. And if it doesn't work out, turn it over to Goodbill then. But if, yeah, like, you, like if you're going to just kick your feet up and watch regular season baseball and <laughs> while Goodbill handles it, I don't know, maybe make the, a couple of those phone calls yourself. But Goodbill definitely seems like a solid service uh, worth relying on if you like you're butting your head against a wall. That's sure. right. All right, Joel. Our next question is from a nurse who has effectively doubled the amount of money that she makes, but she's got a problem. She's having a tough time investing. Let's hear this question. Hey, Matt and Joel. My name is Kayla and I live in Kansas. I have been listening to your podcast for about five months now and I have a question for you. I'm a travel nurse and I have been trying to look into starting my retirement fund. The issue that I have is that I am not a contract worker. I do not own my own business. I get a W-2 from these companies, so I don't qualify for a SEP IRA or a solo 401k. And most of these companies either do not offer retirement benefits, or if they do, like where I am now, they require you to be employed with them for at least a year to qualify for the benefit um, and to be able to start contributing. But each job assignment is about three months long, and sometimes I change jobs in companies two or three times a year depending on the job, the pay, the needs of the hospital. So I don't know what to do because I'm not with the company long enough to start contributing or I'm not offered the benefit. And um, if I do stay long enough to qualify and then I have to quit shortly after and go with another company, then I have to wait a whole nother year to be able to roll over the old account to a new account. I'm just a little confused on all of it, and I don't know what to do. So if you could help me out, I'd really appreciate it. I love the podcast. It's the only money podcast that I've listened to that kind of simplifies the financial goals to make me feel like they're actually achievable. So thank you for your help with my question, and thank you for creating a great show. Matt, you know I'm partial to alliteration. She's Kayla in Kansas, which I, I dig. I guess I like that. And she's a travel nurse, so she might end up being Kayla in Connecticut. Yeah, she could be. <laughs> Kayla in Colorado. There's so, <laughs> so many possibilities here. Well, and, and we're so glad to hear the podcast has been helpful, Kayla. Thank you for listening. And yeah, making money relevant, simplifying the complex. That's, that's the goal, man. That's mm-hmm. the heart of what we try to do here. And Kayla, Matt, is in an interesting position here, right? Because that one-year timeline to be able to contribute to a workplace retirement account, at, at least to score the match, that's... That's fairly standard, right? Mm-hmm. And so the it's called a vesting period, and it might take I don't know, two, three, four years that your employer says, eh, we will contribute a match, but if you leave before this, you don't actually get it, right? You got to prove your loyalty right. before we're willing to give you that extra little cream on top. And travel nurses are disloyal by nature. Like that is what they do. And I, I don't mean <laughs> I don't mean that like- In the best way possible. They can't Kayla. be an awesome pet owner or uh, a, a longtime girlfriend or boyfriend, <laughs> even get married, right? I'm not saying that, but when it, that's the the heart of what they do is they're, they're working two, three, four different jobs every single year. And since you're never in one place that long, you're just never going to qualify. And- which puts you at a slight disadvantage when it comes to saving for retirement, which, so I get the annoyance, right? But it also, I will say, doesn't mean, Kayla, that you can't invest for your future. That's right. So we'll offer our, our best advice to help you get started, to help you get uh, going down that path. Yeah. Well, and, and she even mentioned too how she might be eligible, but even still after she leaves, she can't roll it over for another year, which would just be a massive pain in the butt if you're at multiple hospitals over the course of the, course of the year. So even if you could do that and you were, you were willing to stay there for whatever period of time, 
time, just leaving a trail of 401ks that you have to keep up with and roll over, honestly, seems like a massive pain in the butt. I would want something that is my own that I never have to worry about yeah. uh, as far as rolling over. But one of the perks of being a travel nurse, besides getting to, to see a lot of the country, wherever it is that you're taking a job. Any place that starts with a C or a K? <laughs> Only for her. Uh, you get to enjoy these cool places uh, that you might not get to visit otherwise. I think that's great. But you also often get paid way more than a nurse who is going to stay in one place that's going to stay put. Uh, data from the BLS, they show that on average, travel nurses are making roughly twice as much as staff nurses. Uh, so it's roughly $3,200 a week versus $1,600 a week. Mm. And in some states, it's, it's even more. It's, it's more than that. It's like, uh, yeah, substantially more. If I was Kayla, I'd go to Kauai. <laughs> I would see what they pay there. Uh, the, surprisingly, uh, the gap is the least in Hawaii specifically. Because uh, that's where all the travel nurses want to go. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think that's why. But Kayla, kudos to you for, for getting your nursing degree, maxing your income by going this route. And uh, yeah, while you may not be able to take advantage of a traditional or a solo 401k, there are certainly other ways that you can invest on top of just some of the other benefits that a lot of hospitals are paying out to, to travel nurses as well, like a stipend for housing or free housing in some cases. Uh, but if not free housing, a stipend for housing, relocation expenses, paying for mileage as well. There's, there's just a lot of like, I didn't even know a lot of these benefits existed, but there's a host of sweet benefits and travel nursing is looking like seriously like this life hack you thinking about going back and getting your degree i'm thinking about it (laughs) (laughs) yeah nothing i mean my my mother-in-law did that very thing she was she she went down to saint thomas and was a travel nurse there for i think 18 months or something which Mm -hmm. is longer than kayla stints but it was a way to it's pretty sweet get to live in paradise for a year and a half not have to fully commit to something but you yeah she got paid more than a lot of the staff nurses there for sure but really matt what you're talking about here another one of the ways that we would encourage kayla to invest is through her ira right preferably a roth ira yep it's individual retirement account which means that your employer has no oversight no involvement in this account at all doesn't matter who you work for it yeah it's you and the custodian of that account that you you want to open it up with and so you know it, it's one of our favorite retirement accounts it comes with a lot of flexibility we'd make that your preferred account to start with open it up max it out like clockwork each and every year preferably with one of our low-cost favorites like fidelity vanguard or schwab but the one downside to your Roth IRA is that there's an annual contribution limit of $6,500. So if you're looking to sock away more than that, and let's be honest, Matt, travel nurse is making bank. They might. She, yeah. They like, might want to sock away more than that. <laughs> Kayla, Kayla, really, Kayla's problem is, what do I do with all my money? Right. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I'm making bank. Yeah. And so you can't do it with this account because you can't contribute more than that in a given year. But your first goal for retirement savings should be to max, max this account out, preferably investing in low-cost index funds or a total stock market fund. After that, things do get a little bit murkier. That's right. Yeah. So Kayla, maxing out a Roth IRA, that like, honestly, that is a huge goal for many folks. And I think going beyond that, it is probably going to seem unattainable for most folks. But I think for you, maybe you, this is the situation that you're finding yourself in. Uh, And so we just talked about the Roth. One thing we didn't mention is the HSA, which has a triple tax advantage. But this is where things do get a little bit murky, (laughs) Kayla, because Given that you work for different hospitals, maybe you get an awesome Cadillac health insurance, uh, healthcare plan that's included. 
And if so, then an HSA is not something you want to consider. Uh, and honestly, even if it is a plan that is a high deductible plan and you do want an open, you do want to open an HSA, things get a little trickier there as well because similar to opening a 401k with an employer, you're stuck with the paperwork and the hassle of going from one to another to another and you've got all, all of these different accounts. But that being said, if you have a high deductible plan, say via the healthcare.gov, you've got your own high deductible healthcare plan that you are carrying with you, then an HSA, a health savings account, could possibly be an awesome way for you to really take advantage of some of the tax breaks that are given to you for socking some of this money away that you're investing. You're not using this money to actually pay for your healthcare costs. And with you being younger, maybe this might seem especially appealing given that, you you know, maybe you aren't spending a ton of money on actual healthcare. Yeah. And that way, if, if you do have your own health insurance, high deductible health insurance plan, you can open up that HSA directly with a low-cost company like Lively or Fidelity. Mm-hmm. Those are two of the best. And and that way, the record keeping is a whole lot easier as opposed to, like you said, Matt, having like five HSAs a year, which just gets confusing and overwhelming for sure. Exactly. Yeah. So, but beyond those two, right? Beyond the Roth, beyond the HSA, the next account you should consider it's probably just a plain old taxable brokerage account. They don't get as much press as our favorite tax advantage ones out there, but they're pretty good too. Honestly, there's a, I mean, a lot of folks who are quite wealthy, who are millionaires, who are living off of their investments. A lot, most of their money is typically in brokerage accounts because they haven't been able to amass such a stockpile within the different retirement accounts that have limits placed on them. Well, the nice thing about brokerage accounts too is added flexibility. So let's say you know, some of the, that money you can you can even invest for a future home purchase that isn't going to happen when you reach retirement age because you can access those funds before 59 and a half, yeah. which, is, which is nice. That might be a goal that you have seven, eight years off into the future. And that's something that if you do have a goal that that's that, that far in advance, you do want to invest that money. And this is how you would invest that money. Speaking of houses. Like I'm thinking about real estate. Like that probably isn't a good option given your line of work, right? Buying an investment property. Uh, You're traveling all the time. You probably don't want to, again, be tied to a specific location. Uh, So the taxable brokerage account, that's probably your next best bet. And again, there are no contribution limits, which means that you can sock away as much as you want to after you've maxed out your Roth contributions, of course. But uh, I'm, I'm glad, Kayla, that you brought up travel nursing as an option for a lot of folks, because it really does feel like this awesome life hack, right? (laughs) Like the ability to make bank in your 20s while you're younger, you're traveling around a lot, which is fun. You're not necessarily looking to put down roots. And granted, I I don't think travel nursing is paying quite as much as it was during the pandemic. I feel like it it hit a peak because hospitals were severely understaffed. There was a shortage of nurses. But that being said, it seems like that the pay is still significantly higher for travel ver- travel nurses versus a staff nurse. For sure. Yeah. So sounds like Kayla's doing it right. She just needs to funnel more money into accounts for her future, letting those letting that money grow and compound. And I think the combo of the Roth and a taxable brokerage account, maybe that HSA, depending on the specifics, makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But Matt, we got a couple more questions to get to, including one about, speaking about real estate, using an IRA to pay for a house. Is that smart? Ooh. We'll discuss that and more right after this. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned 
And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty, or you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. I got my first life insurance policy almost a decade ago. And hey, I'm still kicking it. I very much hope that trend continues, Matt. And since then, I've actually added coverage via Policy Genius. And if you out there, you're listening and you're worried that this is going to be a massive pain getting life insurance, think again. Policy Genius made it an incredibly easy process. If you have loved ones who rely on you and your income, life insurance is a crucial part of your financial plan. Not only does it provide a financial backstop for your family, it also gives you peace of mind too. Plus, the longer you wait, the more rates go up because life insurance rates typically increase as you get older. So if this is something you've been putting off, it's time to make it happen now. That's right. Yeah. And even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. We are back, and yes, we do have a couple more questions to get to, including the one about that real estate purchase. But Joel, first, we're going to hear from a listener. This one is from a man after our own heart. Hi, Matt and Joel. This is Wayne from Philadelphia. This is actually the third question that you're answering for me, which I think puts me in the coveted three-question club. I expect my membership card is in the mail. All right, enough shenanigans to the topic or the question at hand. So I have a coworker that I am trying to convince to bike into the office. During one of the conversations that I had with this coworker, he expressed something odd to me and I wanted to run it past you guys. Figured it'd be a good frugler cheap. Basically, I pay $25 a month, so when I get to the office, I can use the gym that my office is partnered with so I don't smell like a terrible man who just biked into the office. 
My coworker friend says that I am the outlier, that he doesn't know anyone who bikes into the office and takes a shower before working. Sans me, of course. So my assumption was is that if you bike into the office, you have to take a shower. Just kind of part of that unspoken office hygiene rule kind of deal. So is my buddy being frugal or cheap? Am I weird with my showering ways? Should I take that $25 and throw it into like my Roth IRA? Will the questions ever end? No, I will contact you again. But hey, thanks for taking time to listen to this. And uh, yeah, very much so looking forward to seeing what you guys think. Wayne out. Kind of like best friends out, but Wayne. Yeah, we'll workshop it. <laughs> we get it, Wayne. You're st- Wayne's an honorary bestie. Oh yeah. Uh, for sure. So funny too. Like I like your sense of humor, Wayne. And uh, And by the way, the first rule of the three question club is to not talk about the three question club. I thought you knew that. And now it's public knowledge and this is not good. Honorary membership revoked. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Kicking you to the curb, Wayne. Uh, no, but feel free to holler at us for 10 seconds. There. Anytime. We love taking repeat questions from people who've been listening for a while. Mm-hmm. So, and, and also frugal or cheap questions. They're always fun because they're the kind of things that people who are trying to get their finances in order are inevitably going to struggle with. I love frugal or cheap as a concept, Matt, and as a way of thinking through things. And you know what? If you're really trying to axe expenses, you're probably going to have some of those frugal or cheap conundrums in your life. So, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I like it. I like this question. Is his friend right or is his friend going too far? I think um, I think maybe perhaps his friend is the one being cheap. Because that's, like, that's what he's asking. He's not saying, is it frugal or cheap that I bike to work? He's saying, is my friend being frugal yes. or cheap? Because I am, you know, I'm coming in, I'm taking a shower. Nothing wrong with biking to work. No. In yes. Fact, so if that's what you're asking, I mean, I guess there's a couple of things tied up in here tied up in this question the fact that your friend you know your coworker doesn't know anybody else who bikes into work well f- who cares <laughs> like we're huge fans of more biking uh, we love that you're spreading the gospel of biking into work specifically and the reason we bring this up there have been some anti bike screeds in some of the major publications recently uh, we're looking at you New York Times I think the Wall Street <laughs> Journal had one too I'm just so annoyed everyone's this, hating like, on the bikers look at how dangerous we, and bad biking is we I'm need like, what? more people on bikes not less uh, and as you know you can save a good bit of money by biking. Uh, But what about showering after your bike ride? Uh, I think that depends on a few things, specifically the length of your commute. Joel, you and I, like we don't have to bike all that far these days, which means we don't work up all that much sweat. Right. (laughs) We don't get too stinky. Plus, it's just you and me, right? Like we're not in some corporate office. Uh, we're only offending each other, our best friends, <laughs> <laughs> not the entire staff or not the entire department where you've got multiple opinions and, and differences of opinion to, that you have to contend with. Many more nostrils that you could potentially offend. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So no, I agree. In part, of maybe how hilly is that commute? Because the more hills, the more sweat. Yeah. How hot is the day? I mean, there's a lot of things to take into consideration. But overall, I would say, Matt, you're right. Like the, the longer, the sweatier, the worse you're commute actually is, the more likely you're going to want to actually take that shower. More than anything, just to be conscientious of others around you. I I used to bike to work. It was about, um, I want to say like seven miles each way, seven and a half miles each way. Mm -hmm. But it was really flat. And so if sometimes I would bike hard and then I would feel the need to get cleaned up. Other times I would just take a nice leisurely pace, enjoy myself. And because of, even though it was like eight, you know, seven and a half miles, I was able to do it in a way that I 
didn't work out much of a sweat because of how flat it was for most of the way. It's pretty so, chill. Yeah, you got to take that into consideration as well. But the truth is, if your commute is longer, uh, more arduous, and your sweat levels are bordering on offensive, showering makes sense. It's the polite thing to do. And honestly, I think it might actually help you come out ahead financially in the long run. You might get disrespected around your office, <laughs> right? If you are, you know, show up in your spandex and you smell like BO, right? I mean, I think mm-hmm. that that could be a real problem, a real hindrance to you advancing in your career, right? If you're known as a sweaty biker guy, it might draw more ire from the people around you, your bosses, your coworkers, than, than respect. And, uh, and so, yeah, think of that $25 as an investment in those relationships, right? And maybe even in your career. No, you're not throwing it away, right? You're prioritizing those relationships and your future earnings possibilities. The social norms in yes. addition to the amount that you might be able to earn in the future. Just by being clean and decent, right? And so 25 bucks is a small price to pay to not anger them, right? To lose friends, but also to potentially lose career opportunities. And and uh, yeah, uh, there's also the added value of a gym membership, right? That you can take advantage of too. So yeah. maybe it's not just the shower, but you can pump some iron, hop on the rowing machine, whatever you want to do while you're Heck in there yeah. as well. So in my mind, all signs point to spend the money, take the shower if if you feel like you need it, and maybe maybe even if you feel like you don't. That's right. It's not weird at all. And plus, I mean, wouldn't you just feel better taking a shower as well? Just being fresh and clean. But I think part of this depends on how well you know your bud, your, your coworker there, because it's okay to have an honest conversation about office hygiene. I think it's also totally fine to make different decisions, right? Like if your coworker decides, well, it's not that it's weird for me to bike to work, but it's just weird that you take a shower. I think that's odd. <laughs> but if that's what he he wants to do, let him be the sweaty, sweaty biker dude, right? If he wants to be. It doesn't mean that you have to, to follow suit. Maybe what he's getting at is that he thinks it's just weird to take a shower outside of the house. Because I feel like that's more of like a tradition. Like it makes me think of old like sports. I never, I didn't grow up playing like football or anything like that. And so I didn't grow up spending time in the locker room, right? Where you're like standing around with a bunch of other naked dudes. I will, I'll be honest, it's not something I'm used to. So when you uh, randomly end up at the YMCA and you're in the locker room, it probably feels it might a little feel, shocking. Yeah, it yeah. probably feels a little bit weird. But I also say this because the gym that I go to, there there's an awesome locker room there with like six or eight showers and I go there and I work out three days a week and the number of times there is even a single person in that locker room uh, taking a shower dude it's incredibly rare like nobody is in there and I think I, I, I guess I just wonder if that is what his coworker thinks is weird as well the fact that like oh man you'd actually like go to the gym and, and, and take a shower I think for a lot of folks it's not necessarily in vogue it feels like something from the 70s or, <laughs> or the 80s, you know. Uh, but that being said, it's for me at least, it's something, it's a perk that's totally offered. It's included in the price of what I pay every single month. And so, dude, you better believe I'm there taking a shower after I work out. It's funny, actually, I take a shower after I work out, but before I bike here. But again, it's because our commute, our yeah. bike commute's really yeah, short. Not, far. not trying to brag or anything like that, <laughs> but I've got it. I've You're got the, it real good. The cleanest dude I know. <laughs> yes, that's true. Well, yeah. So Wayne, I would, I would do what you think. If you think it's right to to shower and then do it. And it's really, we're not talking about a super significant amount of money. And like I said, like it could, it could be money well spent helping you endear yourself to your coworkers. And then maybe they're more likely too to join you on the bike in the future because they're like, ah, oh, bikers are cool, not stinky. You hit that critical mass yeah. and then all of a sudden there's a, a whole office of all of y'all biking to work. And then when y'all are all doing that, there's other 
you know, other benefits for bikers yes. that, that y'all could potentially advocate for. Right. The more coworkers you get to partake in biking, the the more you can lobby for better benefits from your employer. Like how about an actual bike rack where right. we can lock up our bikes? Dude, there's some cool companies out there who will pay people money every every single day they commute or they will help fund a, a new bike if you commute a certain mm-hmm. number of days. So those are the kind of things you can say, hey, a quarter of us now bike to work uh, because I've been so instrumental in spearheading this effort. Uh, well, why don't you why don't you help us out here and maybe and, and it's it's good for their you know how much they pay for health insurance plans and it's good for morale all that kind of stuff. They might be more than willing to do that. But good question, Wayne. We look forward to question number four in the near future. <laughs> but Matt, let's get to our our next question. This one is about using a retirement account to pay for a real estate purchase. Hey guys, this is Matt. Uh, I'm in Georgia and have a pretty straightforward question. I've essentially made it through Money Gear 6. I'm looking to buy my first home and I have a pretty good stockpile in my IRA. Um, I have enough to put down 20 or 50%. Um, In some cases, I could even pay cash for a house um, just depending on what the number is and maybe still have some left over in the IRA. And I'm going back and forth on where to do that and how what that would look like and just wanted to get your thoughts on it. I'm just not sure if I should do 20%, maybe do 50% and take a loan or if in some places, you know, pay the cash um, and just have less in my IRA. Um, that would a- I would have to make up, of course, um, and would love to hear your opinions. Thanks so much, guys. Love the show. All right, Matt in Georgia, just like me. Congrats on being in Money Gear number six. That is awesome. Uh, sounds like you've been dedicated to investing for quite a while now. If you could potentially pay for that house in cash with your IRA, that's seriously impressive. That's very impressive. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, you might be looking at something cheaper, like something that's more affordable. Uh, maybe you are in a more country or rural part of the state. But with the average price of a home in the U.S. being in the range of like 415 thousand dollars that's a pretty killer nest egg yeah so if you've got that much to you matt yeah for sure i mean that's that's a lot of years of doing the right thing of maxing it out and of seeing great gains so and really a lot of our listeners matt are going to get to those multiple six-figure levels just by doing the right thing year after year after year and socking money in index funds but the, the heart of matt's question comes down to one thing Is it smart to liquidate your IRA in order to buy a home? And the answer has some nuance, but the the TLDR is that if you've owned a home in the past couple of years, you definitely should not use your IRA to make this purchase. That's because there is a first-time homebuyer exception that allows you to use some of those funds up to $10,000 without paying a 10% early withdrawal penalty if the money you're taking out is used for the the first-time home purchase, that is. You'll still owe taxes, so so plan for that, but you will avoid the 10% penalty, which is nice, but that's still... A really small chunk of what he's saving. I mean, a, a really, really small amount. Yeah, it sounds like he's looking at above and beyond that ten thousand. Yeah, most, no. most likely. It sounds like it, unless he's like literally buying a teardown shack or something. Right. Yeah. I, so it's also worth noting that Matt he didn't say anything about this IRA being a Roth IRA, uh, and this is worth mentioning because if that was the case, well, then he could pull any and all of his contributions to the Roth without having to pay a penalty or any taxes. Uh, There's no taxes because Roths are funded with post-tax dollars. You've already paid taxes on that money. And this flexibility, it's it's one of the massive benefits of going with a Roth over a traditional IRA because you can withdraw those contributions for any reason. But then on top of that, you still have that uh, that first-time homebuyer exception as well. Uh, So it's kind of, there's there's a double benefit for first-time homebuyers if you have a Roth as opposed to a traditional IRA. Yes, but 
that still begs the question, should you take advantage of this loophole, this perk, as some might think of it? Yeah, we've identified the perk. It's there. Should you use it? Right. (laughs) And probably not is the answer. I mean, Matt has, he's got a lot of money in his IRA, so he shouldn't feel bad about using $10,000 of it for this purpose of buying a home. If it helps him get to the place where, you know, he feels like he has enough to put down, especially if it it gets him to like that 20% down mark that we talked about earlier, but most folks should avoid it altogether, right? Using more than the allotted $10,000 of those IRA funds It would be a bad financial move given the taxes and penalties you'd owe for cashing out early, especially if it's a traditional IRA, right? But even if it's a Roth, it's not necessarily uh, a good idea to take money out of that either to withdraw most of those contributions you've been putting in over the years. So the best thing to do if you've been a great investor and now buying a home is your next goal is to build up more liquid savings to help you get that new place, right? Leaving your IRA fully or at least mostly intact. Yeah. I don't want to jump to conclusions, but Matt sounds pretty young. And if he has been able to sock away that much money towards retirement, I think that he will, would then be able to shift gears and turn his laser-like focus onto saving up a down payment For sure. here pretty quickly. Even if that means, by the way, cutting back a little bit on contributions to retirement accounts now, that's okay because he's already done a great job at that. And if, if the home is his next goal, that's fine. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's the other downside of using some, uh, most or even all of your IRA to buy a house is that you won't have much money, if any, left over in your retirement nest egg, you know, unless you have a sizable 401k or something that, that you didn't mention. Uh, if that's the case, then I don't know, maybe he's got more, he's got additional funds for actual retirement. But with interest rates having gone up quite a bit, like I get the increased desire to avoid getting a mortgage, right? To avoid a home loan altogether. But it's likely going to be a better path to take than using money that's earmarked for your future in order to make this happen. Um, and with the limited annual contribution amounts that you're able to you know, fund your retirement accounts with, you You can't get that money back into your IRA. It's not like you can say, all right, once I get that house, I'm going to go gangbusters on those tax-advantaged uh, retirement accounts. Can't you're, put the genie back in the bottle. You're not going to be able to do that. And so keeping your IRA intact, saving up for that down payment within a high-yield savings account, again, even if it does mean reducing your current contributions towards retirement savings, I think that makes the most sense. Protect your retirement. Don't actually touch your retirement accounts. Yep. Don't mess with the the IRA in order to do that. And by the way, there is something known as a self-directed IRA, which allows you to invest in real estate or even other things like private companies through with your IRA money. And if you did this, your money would still be inside of your IRA, just buying that asset. But the rules are complex. It's not advisable in our opinion. And by the way, you can't even buy personal real estate either. But I just wanted to mention it because you might hear someone say, well, why don't you use it inside of a self-directed IRA? And the truth is you wouldn't qualify buying a personal residence doing that. But I'm not a fan of the self-directed IRA path anyway. uh, I'd rather see you stick with the boring traditional index funds inside of your IRA. But it's something you might yeah, hear inklings about. And I don't think that's for you either. That's right. Uh, But Matt, we hope that that gets you pointed in the right direction. We hope that you are, again, that it sounds like you have a laser-like focus. And I think if you are able to direct that death ray onto (laughs) onto amassing a down payment, that you will be fully funded. Uh, You will have that 20% down before you even realize Mm -hmm. it. But uh, best luck to you. That mortgage might not be around long either once he buys the house. Exactly, exactly. Uh, All right, let's get back to the beer, Joel, that you and I enjoyed during this episode. I will give it a shot. This was a Kanazawa Hayakumengoku Pale Ale. You did better than I did. But again, when you when you once you hear somebody stumble through it, you, <laughs> you're able to 
uh, to pick up the pieces. And this is by Waku Waku Tezakuri Farm Kawakita. This is a, a beer from Julia. Uh, the last of the three beers that she sent our way there from Japan. Joel, what were your thoughts on this one? This was super floral, super botanical. It tasted like the pictures I've seen uh, of Japan and the cherry blossoms when they're in full bloom. <laughs> that This beer tasted like that. It's like you're sitting lakeside gazing upon Mount Fuji. Exactly. With the <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, like you do. <laughs> and we don't have like... Very, we don't get to drink many super botanical beers. This, so this one was like really, really fun. Um, I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed it. it. Yeah, it uh, to me, this one tasted the most familiar. Um, like in my mind, it tasted the most like beers we've had stateside, whereas like the IPA and then the the first one that we had tasted like they were from a different country. Yeah. I feel like this one was like, oh, okay, this this tastes more like maybe an American, uh, a floral, botanically American pale. But definitely got, glad we got to enjoy it. I, ooh, I actually, so I was trying to figure out the name because obviously it's all written in, in Japanese on the label. I came across this brewery's website. They grow all of their malts locally. Oh, that's so, cool. So when it says whatever farm, it's because literally they're not getting their grains shipped in or anything like that too. So this is like a... This is a, a farm-to-table, far, farm-to-pint-glass kind of beer right here <laughs> Very that, cool. that we can enjoy. I can dig that. I think Rogue out in Oregon does they something do similar. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so uh, I loved their beers back in the day, but I haven't had one in a minute, so might need to get some Rogue beers on the show. Some old dead guy ale. That's right, it's, it's yeah. It's been a minute. Uh, and by or the, the way... Or the hazelnut brown, you know. Oh, yeah. Browns were, browns were a nice introduction to some of the different craft beers out yes. there. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Again, we're going to take more of your listener that's questions right. on upcoming episodes. We're going to be taking them every week moving forward. So submit away. We'd love to hear yours. Go to howtomoney.com slash ask for the instructions uh, so that you can record that voice memo, get it sent over to us so that we can take it soon. We need your questions and we look forward to hearing them. That's right. The weirder, the better. We will link to any resources that we mentioned during this episode up on the show notes at howtomoney.com. But buddy, that's going to be it for this one. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Upswell Marketing would like to remind listeners that most people don't belong to two gyms. They don't see two dentists or trust two auto repair shops. So when customers choose your small business over your competitors, they're really choosing you. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads. And in fact, that formula and media mix has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. And new customers receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. Hey, it's Matt here for Health Aid Kombucha. This bubbly probiotic tea blended with real fruit juice is deliciously thirst-quenching and great for your gut health. Health Aid Kombucha comes in many flavors like Pink Lady Apple, Passion Fruit Tangerine, and Ginger Lemon, which is one of my favorites since it has that extra ginger kick. 
I'm a big fan, though the kids prefer the, the mango lemonade. It's organic, it's non-GMO, and a great alternative to sodas and other sugary drinks. Just look for the brown bottle with an anchor in your local stores. Give it a try today. Make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you.